The Crowncast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that means that you are listening to The Crowncast. And uh, it is the Wednesday version of The Crowncast, the Wednesday version after a, I think it's fair to say, pretty bad weekend. Uh, but we got all of our anger out. We got all of our our frustrations. You know, we had our our hot-tempered reaction in our post-react. Uh, so this is our chance to be calm. And here to be calm with me, as ever, is Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. It was not a good weekend, but I hope you're doing better now. I am doing better now. Like I said, I have I have focused my my inner harmony out into the world, and I am now ready to be uh, very upset, but calmly upset. Do you think that's a fair <laughs> statement? Uh, I make no promises about my willingness or ability to remain calmly upset, but uh, yeah, let's let's get into this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, for the listeners, if you have listened to the post react, we hope that you enjoyed that. We were definitely a little bit more fire and brimstone. Uh, I know that you know I say that uh, we still try and keep it professional, but we were definitely a little bit hotter in that one. If you are listening to both that one and this one, uh you know, whatever blessings I can put upon you for wanting to hear that much content about this particular game, take those blessings, you know. Uh, but we are, we're going to jump in. And Justin, as you know, I try and rewatch almost every game. And if I can't rewatch it in full, I will try and at least really study the highlights. And this was probably the hardest one that I have ever had to sit down and go, man, I have to be able to talk about this uh, it, it wasn't fun while it happened. It wasn't fun the second time. But I think that we can just tack on a couple of really simple points in the game. And the biggest one for me is the moment where Guzman Kuruho goes to clear the ball. And via some physics that don't actually exist, it ricochets off of a Toronto player into the perfect looping top 90 uh, shot. You want to you wanna tell us what actually happens here? Yeah, I mean, so so I think we talked a little bit about this in the post, but but I actually have a little bit of, of a problem with Guzman Carujo, and and I know that may be somewhat sacrilegious on this particular podcast to say, but but I do have a problem with Carujo's decision here. No one, no one is beyond <laughs> intelligent discussion. I mean, I will I will give Ben Bender his uh, his praise when he does well. I will also give him his his crown or his cards when he does terrible and especially going back and rewatching this one. One of the reasons I want to bring you in on this is I think you are right. I just don't want to be the one who gives Karuho <laughs> uh, the trouble. So uh, go ahead. So, so we're in a situation where there has been, you know, a little bit of a defensive stop, but the ball is bouncing around in our area. Brent Bronico is in line with the ball. He can just run straight ahead and blast this thing out behind the goal for a, a corner kick for Toronto. You still have to defend the corner. Obviously, it's still trouble. But he is called off the attempted clearance by Guzman Carujo. Um, you know, you can you can see Bronico take the step towards to clear and then make you know the the conscious decision. And this this happens when a teammate calls you off the ball, calls out that this is mine. I've got this covered. Um, and so he stops 
his movement to allow Guzman Carrujo the opportunity to try and stride forward and clear this ball away from our goal, which is theoretically safer. And I don't know that I can necessarily fault. Obviously, you want the ball to go away from your goal. It's safer that way. The The ball doesn't score if it's going away from your goal. Um, but in this case, Carujo, I think, makes the wrong decision. He's a little further back from Bronico, which leaves the Toronto players a little bit more time to close this down. And the fact of the matter is one of them does manage to close this down. They get a foot in front of Carujo's clearance. And it's the strength of, of Carujo's clearance into the Toronto player right in front of him that puts this looping back towards, you know, the far post and, and absolutely catches Kalina in a terrible position. So, Yeah, this is one of the things that I'm going to tack in on because I did not have that sort of reaction when I watched it the first time. Um, in general, I do feel like your central defense, much in the same way I would expect out of a striker to be able to put on their shoulders and say, hey, I'm taking the shot. I would expect your central defensive pairing, those at least two guys to be the pillars that are the default in that situation, right? If uh, your defensive midfielder or, or if a wide player is on a ball coming backwards and you get called off by Guzman Carujo, you, you move like uh, I do think that a lot of this rests on Kodujo. I don't think the play going forward is as clear to him because of kind of getting the play blocked by Bronico on the way back. Um, but Bronico had very clearly tracked the runner behind him. And I think if it was a call off, Bronico does the right thing because ultimately yeah. you have to trust your defense, your defense there. If it was not a call off, uh, then I don't know. I, I think maybe we can say Bronico should have said, I am 100% certain I have this under control because he is. He knows where everybody is and and continued to take it. I, I think it was a call off. I think even in the replay, you can kind of see Bronico hear the call off and turn. Uh, is there anything else you kind of want to put in on this? Or is it safe to say that that was the the sliding doors moment that ended in a lot of chaos. I mean, I, it, you know, that's it. And I do want to be clear about the fact that this is not an attempt to, to sort of slate Guzman Carujo or anything. He has been brilliant and, and, you know, continues <sighs> to be brilliant and continue to be brilliant in this match against Toronto in a lot of different areas. It's just that in this particular moment, there was, you know, a little bit of bad luck, a little bit of maybe not the best d defensive decision, and it just ends up in another one of those sort of fluke goals that seem to plague Charlotte FC. Yes, uh, they, they do seem to be a lot of ricochets and flukes for this team, and I'm starting to think that there is either an actual dark witch in the woods somewhere that has uh, laid a curse on this team, or there is something about the way we play that just allows players to to get into positions where flukes can happen. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. It's, I am gonna, it's Miguel Angel Ramirez. He left a curse on the squad when he left. Are, are you telling me that Miguel Ramirez <laughs> is, is a dark witch in the woods? Well, I mean, Pep Guardiola is a dark witch in the woods, and he kind of looks like Pep Guardiola. So, yes? Yeah. Uh, uh, again, hate mail to <laughs> Justin Kurtz. Uh, no, we love Pep Guardiola. 
Uh, uh, please, Pep Guardiola's, uh, Pep Guardiola's PR team, don't come after us. Uh, anyway, so I'm going to go into the statistics of this game, and I have somehow become a stats guy, and that is hysterical because I am not a stats guy. I am not a maths guy. I'm okay at maths, but that's not my skill. And I had this thought because I went in and I looked and and you, Justin, will know that I love the underlying metrics. I love the stuff that says what happened here. And do you want the good news or do you want the bad news first? This one time, let's start with the bad news so that we can just sort of get it out and then cleanse our palate with something good as we look ahead. That's totally fair. Uh, the bad news is we were solidly and handily beaten by Toronto, even on the underlying metrics. The good news is significantly more fun to talk about, uh, and that is it is not nearly by the amount that we were beaten. The underlying stats show us that on average, for those of you who are familiar with my uh, calling out expected goals, Toronto gets 1.4 to 1.5 expected goals in this game. They come away with four actual goals. And unfortunately, the stat that matters is the actual goals. But we had a similar experience against, uh, I believe it was Nashville, who came in and we put four goals past them. And I looked back at the Nashville match and I said, hey, what happens in these games where four goals just come out of nothing, right? And ultimately, 99% of the time, it is the very, very end of what you call the bell curve, the very unexpected result on statistical probabilities happens. And for us against Nashville, we had something like 2.5 to 2.8 expected goals so we outperformed our expected goals by one or 1.5 if you want to be really specific about it and that's weird that's a fairly significantly better finishing performance than should have existed what we see here is nuts i mean like it's the sort of things that the people who love statistics in baseball would go crazy over Uh, I went in and the fact that the difference between 1.5 expected goals to four actual goals, I went in and I built a model based entirely around this game. For those of you who don't know, my father is an engineer. And if he knew how much math I did for this, he would actually have a heart attack. I built a whole model for this game. I very quickly realized that math was way outside of my level and threw the model away. I then built a much simpler model that would not perfectly represent how crazy this is, but would closely represent something that I would say is maybe good enough for government work. I then very quickly learned that even my simplified model was probably too much for me. I called one of my friends who is incredibly good at maths. uh, So shout out to Morgan Beggs. And uh, he helped me solve the problem I was looking to solve. And it turns out that if you play this game 23 to 24 times, this is the only time four goals go into the back of our net. That's how many times it would have taken. Those are the odds. One in 23 to 24. And that is astounding 
to me. Uh, it, it's reminiscent to me of the famous speech in uh, the hockey movie, Justin, where the USA plays Russia. Um, help me out. Uh, miracle? Miracle. Yes, Miracle. Thank you. It reminds me of the famous speech in Miracle that says, if we go out there and play them 99 times, maybe they beat us 99 times. But today is the one. And unfortunately, we got absolutely slapped by the one in 24 to 25 times. It is incredibly low odds that everything aligns correctly for them to get four goals in this match. They did not have that good perform that good of a performance. And most importantly, although we saw significant flaws in Charlotte FC for the game, Charlotte FC did not put up that bad of a defensive performance. Um, and I think that deserves to be called out. You know, I think that when you go onto a field and you take a beating like that, it is important that the actual, you know, underlying numbers be presented to the people so that everyone can put it in perspective. This is the equivalent to if you were going to play a game of pool and you knock almost every single ball in off of the break. Like theoretically it's possible, but it almost never happens is is what we see. Justin, is there anything you want to you want to bring into this? I mean, I, I I don't disagree with you. This is a fluke performance. For example, if if we look at some of the the first goal, the one that we just talked about, where Carujo has the opportunity to clear, and Osorio is the player for Toronto that blocks that. The XG on that that I'm looking at right now is 0. .08. Like we've seen in in previous matches for Charlotte FC, higher XG from shots that didn't go in. Uh, you know, for Andre Shinyashiki or for Karol Swiderski. Like scoring 0.08 means out of 100 of those shots, only eight of them ever go in. And somehow this one is one of those eight. So I, I don't disagree with you that there is a an enormous amount of, you know, very sort of fluky, you know, energy around this one. And, and you don't put too much on this particular result. Um, I think you also don't put too much on this particular result because of the sudden, you know, for for the purposes of MLS, this introduction of um, Bernardeschi and, and uh, um, Insigne for uh, Toronto, all of a sudden, this is the debut match for both of those guys who just came over from Serie A, which is one of the top leagues in Europe. Neither of these guys is, is you know, really ancient or anything. Like, they came over and debuted, we couldn't game plan for them. We didn't know how they would fit into the system, anything like that. It was a surprise. So it's this combination of bad that gets compounded by this, you know, the, the flukes. Yeah. Um, uh, I think ultimately what we can very realistically say is that every now and then you get what they call a rogue wave in physics or you get what is more widely referred to as the perfect storm. I think we saw almost the perfect storm in Toronto. And I think that it is worthwhile to get upset over it because the perfect storm doesn't happen without Charlotte FC doing some things that, that fuel the, the winds, if you will. Uh, but I also think that it means that we now have objective evidence 
that sometimes the craziness just happens. And I think that lets us all sleep a little better at night, or at the very least, it lets me sleep a little better at night. Justin, there is one other player I want to go into here. And you did me a favor and (laughs) you took the, you shouldered the burden of possibly saying something negative about Guzman Cotorujo. So it is only fair that I do so in return. And I am going to shoulder the burden of having to possibly say something negative about our number one, Christian Kalina. The first goal that goes in is a wild fluke. It is so stupid and so nuts that I have removed it from my brain. Anything that I'm talking about here has nothing to do with that. As a goalkeeper, you simply cannot look at a situation that is completely under control by two of your players and be like, yes, I should be covering the far backside corner in this particular moment. Like, you can't do it. After that, I think there is a real question as to whether or not he presents himself well in this game. And I think that we have seen he is one of the best, if not, you know, in the conversation for the best shot stopper in MOS. This one gets away from him. And I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm not really sure why. If you look at the three other goals that go in, so there is a difference. There's another underlying, underlying, underlying metric because this is the modern day and we put numbers to literally everything. Uh, that says, what is the difference between a shot from an area and a shot on target from an area, right? So if you are tapping a ball in at the back post, that might only be a 0.5 XG shot because oftentimes the ball is just barely missed to outside of the post or hits the post. But if you put the ball on frame and you're tapping it into the back post, that expected goal goes into something like a 0.94. Because from that area, if it's on frame, there is nothing in the way. The goalkeeper would have to do something absurd in order to stop it. For the other three goals in this game, Toronto puts up about 1.58-ish on frame goal expected. Three goals go in. I think that is enough that we can reasonably say what happened in this one. Was there a little bit of panic because the goal, because the tally was getting run up on them? Was there uh, just a, a few moments of, of not calm? You know, Justin, from your perspective, Christian Kalina goes on in the second half, makes some great saves and even makes some good ones in the first one but it wasn't the performance we're used to seeing from Christian Kalina. It, what looked different? Did anything look different to you? Um, I, I do think that there was a confidence hit uh, for Kalina in this one. I think it is incredibly disheartening. The first two goals, you know, the first one is wild chance. There's nothing you can do to stop it. The second one, I think he's let down a little bit by the defense in front of him. Michael Bradley cuts across and, and it's a good header from Bradley, it's an incredibly difficult one to try and save uh, Mm -hmm. for Kalina. Um, But I think seeing those two go in and it's 10 minutes into the match that happens. Um, Uh, Yeah, something like that. It's disheartening 
uh, to deal with that. It's disheartening to deal with that header from Bradley's a 0.02 XG. You know, these are, are really low uh, quality attempts that are coming in and they both go in. And I think it's just disheartening to to have that happen. And I think from a confidence perspective, I think Kalina had a, a, maybe a little bit of trouble recovering from that. Um, and then, you know, the third from sort of the top of the box by Bernardeschi, uh, Bernardeschi is, is a really good shot. Yeah, it's um, a really special shot from there. And and so, you know, you put all of it together and that's why I think it's, you know, going going back to one of the other sort of dark moments in this match, but that's why I actually am okay with Christian Fuchs taking the red card when he does, because I think one of the other things that, that he's doing there, and I talked about in the post, is he is protecting his goalkeeper. And he's gonna he's working to keep his goalkeeper from, you know, having another bad situation that he's gonna be stuck in where he's one on one with a just a, a striker who's running in free. Um so I you know when we discussed this in the post react I I said that I don't see how a captain can take a red card there there's just no reasonable excuse If he's not the captain I think maybe there are some more reasonable excuses I do think if you were going to put an argument forward and I still stand by my statement uh the captain has to be there with the rest of his team to help resolidified to help rebuild to help pick up the pieces that is where a captain needs to be um so what i'm about to say does not change my opinion of that i will say the best argument i feel like can be put forward is christian fuchs looked back at christian kalina and said that man has been the strength of this team for so long i'm not going to let him have to take another one-on-one and if that was his thought process, even if I believe it was wrong, I would still, for lack of a better statement, salute Christian Fuchs for that. Because Christian Kalina has over and over and over and over again held this team up purely on his shoulders. You know, a lot of the defensive frailties that this team has experienced have been completely snuffed out, and we have not had to talk about them by the individual brilliance of Christian Kalina. So if he looked back and said, no, I'm protecting that man, then good on you, Christian Fuchs, genuinely. Uh, I think it might be it might be time to, to push on into the midfield uh, question, or maybe we should say the midfield problem. Uh, Justin, we got run over in the midfield. Yeah. We got, uh, I mean, played off of the pitch in the midfield in this game, and it shows. I mean, it, it was really what created that feeling all around of us being like, we can't do anything right now. We we can't get out. We can't hold possession. We can't do anything. And, you know, I, I have some questions that have come out of this about, you know, specifically Quinn McNeil. And as dark as that sounds, my outlook on Quinn McNeil is still a pretty positive one. I think as a young player, he's shown a lot of good things that can develop further on. I have trouble after this performance saying there is much going forward that would be good by giving Quinn McNeil that same weight in the midfield. I don't think technically he is proficient enough yet uh, to to take on that burden. One of the things that I think is really important in professional athletes 
is their ability to impose their game on others. If you put two people head to head on something, one of them will sooner or later get the other one to play the way they want to play the game. There's no numbers behind this. There's no statistical data. There's no, there's, there's nothing about this other than having watched a whole lot of soccer and looking at that midfield and thinking to myself, they were playing the game that Toronto wanted us to play the whole time. And the struggle that I have right now is I don't think Quinn McNeil can do it. I don't think he can impose Charlotte FC soccer on the other team. And then I look further around the the midfield and I know Ben Bender can do it, but I also know Ben Bender can just go missing. I genuinely believe that Sergio Ruiz can do it, but Ruiz also has that sort of boomer bust can light it up and can sort of be a non-factor. The only person in the midfield right now who I see as having the potential to reliably enforce Charlotte FC's will is Brant Bronico. And no matter how much we like the guy, he can't be both at the top of their box trying to enforce our offensive game and at the top of our Bermuda diamond of, of death enforcing Charlotte FC's defensive game. Are you seeing sort of what I'm seeing here, Justin? And if so, what do we do about this? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked the entire season about what's going on in that midfield between, you know, Jordi Alcivar and TDRTs and Ben Bender and, you know, where was Sergio Ruiz for a while, you know, worried about his health uh, mentally and physically, making sure that he was right so that he could come back to the side. Um, and I still think that we haven't answered those questions. We still have that, that question mark out there. I agree with you. You know, I don't think if the Montreal game and, and the COVID issues and everything like that happen, uh, I don't think if that happens, that Quinn McNeil is here, you know, now in this side, this actively. A month ago, he was playing for the Charlotte Independence, and and I don't think it's a bad thing that McNeil is now in the side for Charlotte FC. I don't know that he should be in the starting eleven of the side week to week. Um, McNeil feels like the kind of player because he is just as young you know, as Ben Bender, who still needs the time to season. McNeil feels like the kind of player who should be coming in, you know, 60, 70 minutes gone in the match. He's the guy coming in to take Sergio Ruiz's place to give Sergio Ruiz the opportunity to to get some rest, to play that box-to-box like Sergio's been playing, and, you know, maybe play it against a few more tired legs where there's a little bit more space and there's a little bit more time for him to figure it out. So that said, I'm, oh, go ahead. I don't. It, well, that you know. That said, I don't know who takes his place in the squad. I don't think that Kamil Yezwiak in the middle of the pitch worked out great for us against Toronto. No, I don't think it did. I, I'm gonna, for lack of a better statement, protect Kamil Yazwiak because the referees certainly didn't. Um, and we're not going to go into him today. One of the things I am going to ask you is: we all have the players that we rate. Right. We all see little things and players that make us go, that guy has it to potentially be really good. 
Yeah. And one of the ones you are not shy about, you know, saying you'll back is Quinn McNeil. So from your perspective, what is the thing that Quinn McNeil needs to step up and be the guy here? I mean, he doesn't necessarily have to be the Ben Bender or the uh, Sergio Ruiz who is doing the deadly ball. What does Quinn McNeil need to to develop to be that box to box? I own this midfield and you're going to play my game or I'm going to run you off this pitch sort of player. He needs the game to slow down for him a little bit, which comes with time and comes with experience because what he needs is to move the ball, not necessarily in a complex or, or, you know, cutting way, but the ball needs to transition through Quinn McNeil faster. I think that's a great call out. Um, yeah, one of the things that we talked about in the very beginning, I mean, if you go back to like our first podcast, we talked about how important it is that midfielders transition the ball like water. You know, it it just flows through them. And those players that have the ability to just turn the ball, uh, not when I say turn over, not turn over to the other team, but turn play over, just flow the ball to the next person uh, to be in the right positions to do that. And you almost don't notice them because of how just metronomic and how smooth they are those players are deadly and ultimately those are the ones that that make other teams feel like what are we supposed to do in this midfield we're trying our best but the ball just uh, vanishes into there and then it just vanishes somewhere else uh i i do think that's a great call out because i think he has the potential to grow into that but he does look like the ball gets stuck to him a little doesn't he yeah, and and that's why I think you know the best thing for him to do is to spend more time learning from Sergio Ruiz, learning the game from Sergio, and then you know taking Sergio's spot because I think I think when he's on and when he's got the right partner in the midfield and things are moving well through him, and he's got the right partner outside him to the left that is you know a little bit more energetic. Sergio Ruiz is the guy right now who ticks it over in the midfield the most consistently and the most smoothly um, it, 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 everywhere, you know, looking outside, looking inside, looking forward, you know, Sergio Ruiz is the guy that moves the ball for us. I think I am going to move us on here. Uh, my final statement will, will be, I do think something we can all agree is that if Quinn McNeil finds his potential ceiling, and again, that is that is the absolute best in the range of outcomes. But if he finds his potential ceiling and Ben Bender finds his potential ceiling in three years, two or three years, the two of them together could make a really, really intimidating midfield. Um, um, if both of those players find their potential ceiling, at least one of them is no longer playing in MLS three years from now. Uh, you know what? Don't. Don't tear me down, Justin. Let me <laughs> let me dream. Um, so one of the things that we have been talking about is playing box to box, but there's another way that you can play. You can play basket to basket. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, you will now be learning that we are sponsored by the wonderful AHA Disc Golf Shack. And uh, they are a local company that helps uh, the people of Charlotte, North Carolina, go out and experience the fantastic game of disc golf. If you have never heard of disc golf, I encourage you to go look it up. And if you look at it and go, that might be fun. One of the things that you can go is you can go to AHA Disc Golf Shack and you can mention our name, the Crowncast. 
And Aaron, the gentleman who runs it, will give you a discount on everything you need to get started if you are already a professional player and you just happen to have uh, won your last tournament, but in doing so lost your favorite disc and you want to replace it. You can also go to AHA Disc Golf Shack, mention the crown cast, and Aaron, the gentleman who runs it, will still give you that same discount. He does not care if you are a professional or if you have never thrown a disc before. He is out there trying to help everybody have the tools they need. And we love him for it, and we love their support. Justin, do you feel like that is about enough of that? Yep. I mean, my my familiar reminder at this point to our listeners that the game of disc, disc golf is a great one to get into. It's a great opportunity to go wander out. It's shady. It's out in the woods for almost all of these courses uh, around town, so you can still get outdoors and maybe potentially beat some of that heat. Um, go give it a try if you've never done it before, and, and check it out at AHA Disc Golf Shack. Okay, so uh, now that we get to get back into it a little bit here, uh, Justin, I know you and I got the joy of going through all of the muddy mud uh, stuff together. And now we get to some of the more fun parts, which is looking forward. And to help us look forward, I get to bring back a new regular member of the podcast. It's Josh. Hello, Josh. Hey, Justin. Hey, uh, Logan. How's everything going? Uh, well, well, yeah, we did. We did just go through the tough part. We're bringing you in for the the good parts. But that does mean we get to look forward uh, to our, our next match. And, uh, you know, as we've been saying, you really do a good job of going into it with Banks Beers and Soccers, uh, Banks Beer and Soccer. So we're going to make you do all the same stuff here. Do you have some stuff you want to tell us about? Yeah, so I think I'll start off by saying I really I believe that we're seeing a different Columbus team than we did a few weeks ago when we went to Columbus and got a point there. Um, and specifically it's because we were lucky enough to miss, uh, I'm going to continuously mispronounce his name, uh, Zalarian. Um, I do that because I myself am of Armenian descent. So I pronounce it like an Armenian would rather than <laughs> like an Argentinian would. Um, so uh, I do apologize for that. If it makes you feel any better, you can take my, uh, my way and just intentionally mispronounce everything. So no one ever has any expect expectations of you set the bar really low. <laughs> maybe i will go ahead and do that but so i will probably pronounce his name as the armenian would um but yeah so we missed him last game and that was really lucky for us because i'm sure as anyone listening to this knows if you're even remotely following any other team in mls he is really really good probably one of the best players in the league um and then coupled with him now they have their new signing kucho um so attack wise this is just a completely different team, I think, than the one that we saw a few weeks ago. So you would say that this is a team that now you would put up into the upper echelons of MLS's attack of MLS attacks, or would you say this is a team that has a a kind of standard attack but now has their tools back? I'm a little torn. Um, I, I think it has the potential to be a really good attack uh, with the addition of Cucho. Um, He's a guy who I'm not quite sure what to make of him. He has a history of goal scoring, but his history of goal scoring was mostly at a second division level um, when he was with Huesca, I believe, maybe is how it's pronounced, in the Spanish Division II. Um, he scored like 17 goals there for them. He's never scored more than five, though, after that, um, and that includes last year with Watford. 
Okay. So uh, there are a couple people on here with the potential, but maybe not the the finalized product all polished up nice and shiny. Yeah, I th- I think he's a little similar to um, Zalarian, actually, because Zalarian also, he is scoring more for Columbus than he has in his career historically. Um, when Columbus signed him, what they ended up doing is kind of moving him more centrally into that 10 role, which is where MLS fans have seen him. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done a similar thing with, with Cucho. He was playing as a winger his entire career. Um, if you believe the MLS lineups that they, they post, uh, he's been playing as a, as a striker for them. I think his limited, uh, heat map that you can find shows that as well. Um, and so that's why I'm a little weary of, of saying how good this attack could be, because I do think that they've changed his position, but he does have four goals in four appearances, only two starts. So it is a red hot, hot start for him. So, you know, maybe a more in-depth question than you're ready for, but you know, these two guys, how do they get their joy on the pitch? Is it a team that likes to keep pressure up high and just sort of find the the lockpick ball as we talk about with a lot of European teams? Is it a team that counterattacks really effectively? Is it a team that, you know, just tries to use physicality and bust the door down? So they do try to keep possession. Um, I believe their season possession is a little bit below uh, Charlotte's, but it's above 50%. Um, a lot of the counterattacking teams that we've faced or that you'll see are going to be in the in that low 40 range. Mm-hmm. So they do want to have the ball. Um, their defense is really good, though, which gives them the ability, I think, to get the ball back. As far as when they attack, um, I mean, Zalarian will drift all over the pitch. I think Cucho is going to do that as well. And then their other two wide players are also pretty interesting. They have Etienne, who's been playing a lot on the left. Um, he's having a really good year, uh, almost a breakout one. And then they have another guy named um, Luis Diaz, not the more famous one that people will be familiar with, with uh, Liverpool. <laughs> um, but this Luis Diaz, he doesn't really score anything, but I think he does a really specific role for them, which is to provide a lot of width. He's really good dribbling the ball he gets fouled a lot he gets into the box a lot um he kind of just causes a lot of chaos so i think that this is a real real challenge for bronico and whoever's going to be in that back line because there's a lot of athleticism and speed in this front line which is worrying to me okay um you know one of the things we look at if you look at the table right now you'll see that columbus crew is currently sixth in the table and points wise in theory they're one of the the teams that we would want to be sort of nipping at the heels of, but they do have a positive goal scoring record. Um, In fact, they're one of only four teams that currently have a positive goal scoring record. You know, as far as you're concerned, is this a team that you think you'd rather see us manage their, their strength and then try and counterattack after that? Or would you rather see us go just try and take the ball from them and really just try and shut those guys down by not even making them a part of the game? I think because we're at home, I think I'd rather us be a little bit more aggressive and try to keep the ball from them. I just think with the talent of um, Zalarian, and and we're not even talking about a guy like Nagby, who I know a lot of U.S. fans will have mixed emotions over, but at an MLS level, he's really good. Um, So I think I'd rather us try to go at them. I don't know that I... I really worry about them scoring four or five goals, but then I would have wasn't worried about Toronto doing that either. And they did. Yeah. Um, so I, 
I think that we could take this game to them, especially since we're at home. Um, they do have a good defense, though. Again, it, it's a weird thing because last time we were home, we destroyed a team in Nashville who have a good defense. Um, and then we've done nothing sort of since then. So, I mean, um, we, beat, we beat Chelsea, technically. <laughs> um, like, that's true. That's yeah. True. Go ahead, Justin. So, well, so, so, you know, we've talked about how do we kind of counter that? How do we then break down that strong defense? Is it the same output out, up front from Jordi Reyna on the left wing who, you know, against Nashville was, was phenomenal. Sergio Ruiz through the middle, or would you like to maybe see some changes in our attack, whether it's, you know, a gains over Yozwiak on the wing or, um, you know, if, if Quinn McNeil gets the start next to Sergio Ruiz, something like that. So I'm going to say something that maybe is a little controversial here. Um, I'm not the that. biggest Reina fan. Uh, when we look at the past two games, I think people are going to remember him fondly for those two goals at Miami, for some of his other attempts that have been really fun and, and good. But aside from that, I think he's been really disappointing in almost every other facet of the game. If I were choosing a lineup, which thank God I'm not in general, but if I were, I would want Shinya Shiki to come in for him. I would keep Yuzwiak. Um, I would probably return him to the wing, but I also wouldn't be opposed to seeing him again um, in that 10 role, just to see if that was just a bad game up in Toronto, see if he can do a job for us there. Um, as far as McNeil in the midfield, to be honest with you, I don't know where we go in that, in that midfield. I've been sort of racking my brain around it. Besides Bronico, I really can't tell you who's going to be able to do a good job for us there. There's just been so much inconsistency. Yeah. Especially in players like Ben Bender, who again is, you know, near and dear to my heart, but you would be truly putting blinders on to not see that sometimes he is unstoppable and sometimes he is very stoppable. <laughs> I think... I think the same can almost be said about Ruiz, too. I feel like with Sergio, um, either his game is dominant and he's really, really good, or he is almost absent from the game. You don't notice him. And that's a frustrating thing and something that we can't continue to happen or to have happen. Um, but I'm not quite sure how we solve that. I do think I would give Bender another chance just because I think from what we've seen with McNeil the past couple games, really the past maybe three halves, I don't know that he's quite ready to be a starter. I don't know that Bender is either, but I don't know that McNeil's done anything to to really nail down a start and to not have some kind of change to see if we can get a spark going. Yeah, I think my statement here is, and Justin, I know you'll want to get in on this after I say this. Um, my My position here is McNeil is looking good, but McNeil's floor is a five and his ceiling is a six out of 10. Whereas unfortunately we have seen with Bender where his floor can be a four, but his ceiling can be like an 11. And I'm, I'm similar to you in this perspective where I think Bender can take over the midfield if it's his day. Um, and I don't like relying on that sort of roll of the dice, but it might be the better way to approach this game. Justin, do you want to do you want to tag anything on that? Well, so I, I think that I would argue that, that McNeil's ceiling is probably higher than that, but I don't think that we'll see McNeil's actual ceiling this season. I think McNeil's a project guy that's gonna come that's gonna come good in the future. And I think that Bender's kind of the same way. But like oh, yeah. you both said, 
we are boom and bust across the midfield. You know, between Ruiz, I think Yordi Reyn is the ultimate boom and bust player, and I think that he can boom and bust in the same game. You know, I think we saw that against Miami. He was brilliant very briefly and then was not great for an extended period of time. So um, I would like to see more consistency. And I think that the most consistent option for us on that wing on the left side in particular is Shinishiki. So I'd like to see him him come back into the starting 11 for this one. Yeah, and, and I'll jump back into uh, sort of an earlier statement with Jordi Reyna. I think one of the reasons we we have that sort of feeling about him is despite the incredible work he does on the ball. Um, although if you are a believer in statistics, his passing numbers are not great. He's not a particularly good passer of the ball. Um, I think we we see his absence off the ball, especially when you see the sort of defensive pressure that is put in by players like Carol Swiderski, right? The fact that uh, he's really not a high-energy presser he doesn't really become a part of the defense as much I, I do I can see where you're coming from Josh with that a little bit of worry about him on the outside uh, I think we are going to start to wrap up this look forward at Columbus crew Josh uh, do you have any final thoughts you want to put into this the only thing I would say is I would not be opposed to Bronico almost man marking Zalarian if possible in the midfield I just think that he is going to be so crucial to this game as far as whether we can take him off the ball and take him off the game. Cucho is getting a lot of the the big headlines right now because he's the new signing and he's made a really big splash. But I think Zalarian is probably one of the best players in this league, and I think he's still head and shoulders above Cucho. Um, until Cucho can do this for a little bit longer, I'm just not willing to say that. So if there's one player that I would game plan around, it's it's definitely going to be Zalarian. All right. Well, uh, there you have it from Josh of Banks, Beers, and Soccer. Uh, Josh, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You too. So once again, thanks to big thanks to Josh over at Banks Beer Soccer. Uh, if you want to know his prediction for the Columbus Crew match uh, for the upcoming DC United match, you know, uh, please go check out the blog BanksBeerSoccer.com. Um, get a get a chance to look at you know his detailed analysis of Columbus Crew this weekend. Uh, his detailed analysis when it goes up of DC United midweek next week, his detailed analysis of the Chicago fire the Saturday after that. And, and that brings us into more of the news. And the first one is we have three home matches in the next week. We have seven home matches the rest of this year, Logan. So, so almost half of our remaining matches at the vault are coming in the next 10 days or so. Uh, that is both inspiring and not inspiring. Uh, the, this is actually something we we discussed very briefly off mic, and it is going to result in a test of this team, right? I mean, we're not we're not out of the running for the playoffs, but I definitely think it shows that our run into the playoffs is is going to be proven by whether or not we can do it away from home. Yeah, this team is going to have to figure out how to do something that they haven't been able to do so far. And that is put together a string of good results away from the vault. If they want to be in the playoffs this season. Um, one of the things that could potentially help with that 
is the transfer window. We're, we're currently in what is called the transfer window. For those of you who may not be familiar, this is the period of time where the teams in the league have the opportunity to go sign players in particular from overseas, from other leagues, stuff like that. Um, some of the players that we saw against Toronto were signed in previous transfer windows, um, but have been, you know, a little bit injured, uh, waiting for the, the, you know, those injuries to clear up before they could make their debut. Charlotte has an opportunity to do some business in this transfer window and find some reinforcements. We saw how effective international reinforcements can be. We, we have seen, you know, in a previous transfer window here for Charlotte, how effective a, a, a reinforcement from within MLS can be in Andre Shinyashiki. We have the opportunity for all of that. We have uh, recently, in terms of transfer news, terminated the loan or, or waived, I'm not sure which term the, the team wants to use, uh, Christian Ortiz. TD Ortiz is no longer a Charlotte FC player. Um, I don't know that there are many Charlotte FC fans, in particular many Charlotte FC fans on this podcast, who are sad by that particular change. I think that this is addition by subtraction for the squad, and I think, Logan, you may feel the same way. Uh, I think that my statement here is that TD Ortiz uh, showed a lot of what he could do at Charlotte, but never showed it working with the team here in Charlotte. And I, I think the writing was on the wall. Uh, I think he had started to be sort of of the position that he was going to be, if anything, sort of a super sub role. And I'll be honest with you. I don't think TD Ortiz wants to be a super sub. I think he wants to go out there and have a team sort of built around him. Uh, so I think we saw that coming from a ways out. And this was just kind of the finalization of, of what we all kind of thought was, was on its way. Yeah. We've talked about it before. He was a Mar guy, you know, uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez brought him in, has played with him before. And, you know, was he, Ortiz was already starting to see his minutes drop prior to MAR leaving. And then once MAR was out, it became even more evident, you know, that he was going to be, he was going to be leaving the side. So that does open up roster space though. We have an opportunity, you know, like we said, we've, we've talked about this team needs reinforcements. We'd like to maybe see some help along that back line. If, if it's, you know, a left back, Adam Armour is hopefully coming back soon, healthy, you know, but we need more help there. Uh, we need probably another center back because we don't know, you know, Christian McCoon may not be the answer. Jan Sabasinski doesn't seem to be able to really stay healthy or get a long run on the side. Transfer windows open. Let's do some business, Charlotte FC. Yeah, I'll step in here because everyone always wants their club to go out and spend money. And uh, we're no different. Go out and spend money, Charlotte FC. We want trophies. Uh, I think one of the things that we have seen is very clear from this club is that middle of the pack is not what they intend to be. I think it can be very obvious sometimes that teams who just start out come in and they go, oh, we're just starting out. We're going to sort of throw our hands up and 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 maybe we'll be great, but maybe we'll be just sort of average. And Charlotte FC doesn't look like that. They look like they came out of the gates. They look like they had a real desire to, if not, you know, place very highly in our table to certainly make playoffs this first season. That is still a theoretical possibility. I think it's more challenging, where it's been made more challenging with this loss to Toronto. But... We have we have looked into the the future where this is a very good 
team. And that leads us to just very briefly talk about Latif Blessing. Um, we have been linked with Latif, a uh, player from LAFC, a very good, I would call him a solid all-round attacking midfielder. Uh, I think he would make a pretty good addition to our squad. One of the things that is a bit of a strength, having only had a a sort of high-level look at him, uh, is that he is very good off the ball. He, he seems to understand where space is and get into positions that people like uh, Brant Bronico or Ben Bender could really benefit from by by him being there to receive that pass that cut opens lines. Uh, I, I think this is a good player. I don't think this is a player who... And maybe the way I'm going to say this is if this comes to fruition... I don't see this as a player who moves the needle significantly for Charlotte FC. I see this as a player who keeps the needle stable for Charlotte FC and maybe bumps us, maybe moves the needle more towards that sixth or seventh opportunity spot. Um, A good player has a lot of upside going into his prime. And if we do actually end up signing this guy, uh, we'll go into a little bit more depth about what we think he can do. Justin, is there anything else you want to tack on to the news? No, I mean, I think that pretty much covers it. You know, we've got a lot of matches coming up. I think our our fans, our listeners can expect a lot of post matches. Yes. <laughs> yes, you will be you will be getting post matches as as probably as rapidly as you can listen to them. Uh we always want the content machine to be churning. Uh but you will not be hearing from us next Wednesday for a regular Wednesday cast. Uh, That will have to come a little bit later because we will obviously be playing DC United. So that means I have to uh, make a bit of an addition here, Justin, to my usual sign-off. And uh, that is if you have uh, stuck your way through this with us, thank you so much. We love you for being listeners. And we will talk uh, talk to you again after we go get six points from both Columbus Crew and DC United. That's right. We're beating them both. Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.